But if we take a few minutes and we put our attention fully on the on the coffee, the smells and the tastes, and maybe how much we love our favorite mug, it provides a, a sensual, mindful experience that most people find to be enjoyable. It's a little a little pleasure uh, amid the difficulties. Meet Jamie Derrick, an associate professor in the Department of Psychology and Communications Studies at the University of Idaho. I think we can all agree that going through a pandemic is stressful, whether it's concern for the health of our loved ones, job and food security, or balancing childcare and work, there is a lot to keep us up at night. Jamie knows about stress, what triggers it, how it manifests, and how we can overcome it. She's also an expert in helping people deal with trauma and has a toolkit for handling stress. Welcome everyone to The Vandal Theory. My name is Lee Cooper, and I'm a science writer here at U of I, and your host for The Vandal Theory, a podcast about science and research at the University of Idaho. Throughout this special season of the podcast, which is recorded and produced in my kitchen, we're going to meet U of I researchers who have insights into the current COVID-19 pandemic and its effects on Idaho and our Vandal family. Jamie and I chat about how it feels to go through a pandemic, and we practice tools for de-stressing. Hey, Jamie, thank you so much for coming on The Vandal Theory. We're in the middle of, of COVID-19, and I'm talking you because you're a licensed psychologist, right? Yeah, I'm a licensed psychologist. I'm a professor at the University of Idaho where I teach classes in psychology, and I'm also a certified mindfulness teacher, and I run a mindfulness program on the University of Idaho campus. Now, it might be you know obvious to some people how that overlaps with the COVID-19 epidemic, but uh, can, you, can you walk us through it? Why is it important to think about mindfulness and where our heads are at during this pandemic? Sure. Um, I think for most people, the experience of the pandemic is emotionally upsetting and stressful. Our lives have changed in really significant ways relatively rapidly. We're not so sure about the future. There's a lot of uncertainty and questions. And that sort of confluence of things is um, agitating. It can activate worry and anxiety and for some people, even more significant emotional states, trauma or grief or depression. And uh, so having some understanding about uh, psychological resilience and triggers to different emotional states can be really helpful with coping. And mindfulness is really a specific way of coping that's a little different than what we think about. It just it has a different approach to it than what we think about in terms of coping much of the time. I think all of us can identify maybe some of the more basic stresses that we're feeling, uh, at least like how we're feeling them. I know, you know, I personally had trouble sleeping. I can tell just my body is just like tense and I was giving myself stomach aches at the beginning of all of this. Um, but what are maybe some of the other ways that people are feeling stressed or, you know, finding themselves reacting to this? Yeah, great question. Well, the circumstance is challenging in a bunch of different ways, right? So stress can arise out of any of the challenges. So there's the stress of the pandemic itself and all the questions about our health, physical health, the health of our, our beloveds, our people, our communities. There's the uncertainty about the economic outcomes and, and how that might impact 
you know, us individually or our, or others that we know. There's the um, kind of inundation, the curiosity and the desire to know what's going on, and then the just rapid fire news reports about what is happening. So there's this kind of um, constant input from news sites and social media about what's happening in the world and, and also about what might happen later on. Uh, so all of those things are, are overwhelming. Many of us are separated from the coping mechanisms that we're used to, like um, productivity at work. Um, working is actually an outlet for a lot of people. And many people are still working, but they're working in a really different way. And then there's many people who are not working right now. Um, access to our friends and our family members who aren't sheltering with us in our homes. So we're a little more isolated from our social support networks, which is an important part of coping. Even just the, the, you know, all the good coping mechanisms that you're supposed to do. You go, you're supposed to go exercise. You're supposed to go do whatever games with friends, you know, volleyball game or go skiing with friends or whatever it is. All of that is suddenly, nope. Yeah. Exactly. So many things we're, we're cut off from being able to do. The things that bring us joy or distraction, um, going to events and regular exercise and um, visiting places, traveling, getting away. All of those things are, most of them we can't do right now, or we can only do in really limited ways. We're also living in close quarters with our, our family members or our roommates or whoever we're sheltering with. And that sort of you know, day after day connection can also lead to disagreements or conflicts or there's simply like a need for um, some alone time or some quiet time. And it's hard to find it if the house doesn't have space for that. So there's a lot of added stresses that come from uh, the way that we're living socially right now. Well, and you mentioned during your intro, kind of past experiences could also influence how you're reacting to this experience. Can you go into a little bit more depth there? Sure. Um, well, the situation, of course, is upsetting for all of us. It's threatening and scary. And so it's natural to have um, emotion arising about what's happening and the uncertainty about the future. And for many people, um, many of us, we carry some either mild level or more significant level of emotional trauma from our from our past, from our histories that have been painful or difficult or challenging in some ways. The events of the, of the pandemic can activate or trigger some of our historical trauma experiences, but can show up in very unusual ways, like greater emotionality, like bigger emotions than feel like they're connected to the situation, like overreacting a little bit can be stress, but it can also be sort of a symptom of of activation of a, of a historical trauma, fogginess in the head, um, detachment or like numbing emotionally, tension in the body, actually holding certain patterns in the body can, can be a indicator of like, again, current stress or historical stress, um, confusion or forgetfulness. All of those things can be uh, symptoms of historical trauma. Can I give you an example of, of, a, of a person who I recently spoke to about this just to kind of bring that home and make it concrete? Yeah, I think that would be helpful to kind of picture, yeah, like you said, more concrete what, what you're talking about. Okay. So I had a, um, I work as a clinical psychologist, so I, I consult with people and right now during the pandemic, doing that by phone or, or Zoom or whatever. And someone um, in my clinical practice has a a history of of being the go-to person in the family for a very significant 
life-threatening medical event for a family member. So this happened a couple years ago, uh, really overwhelming, really sudden, really unexpected. And so it was it was very difficult to handle all of the emotional details of it at the time it happened, just because there were so many decisions being made all the time. It ended up creating a little bit of residual trauma in the aftermath, which has been a focus of the work that we've done together uh, in recent history. And with the pandemic coming up, there are so many images of medical settings and doctors and nurses and discussion of you know, uh, all of our sort of biological reactions to disease, it puts the, the medical information on the forefront. And for this particular person, that was triggering of the old, the old trauma around being so intimately involved in discussions with doctors and nurses and trying to really help a family member. And this person found um, herself becoming detached emotionally, um, uh, forgetful, a little bit depressed, not very motivated, wanting to spend a lot more time in bed, um, not having an appetite, and and a little confused about the experience because, um, in general, was feeling pretty safe, um, sheltering at home with family, feeling supported by her workplace. And so when we had a discussion about that, we kind of linked the two together and it became really clear that that she was having kind of a trauma reaction, a re-triggered trauma reaction uh, from the similarity between the historical event and the contemporary current situation. Are you seeing this uh, in more than one patient? I mean, it seems like there's there's so many aspects of this pandemic. I mean, it's it's it's. It's health, it's economic, it's it's change in locations where you're spending time, how you're feeling isolated or totally overwhelmed, teaching and family and everything. Uh, there seems there could be a lot of different, I would think, um, trauma in the background that could could uh, rise up. Exactly. So yeah, I'm seeing quite a bit of it. I would say at least, uh, 40 to 50% of the people that I'm consulting with in my practice are having some historical, uh, emotional difficulties or traumas, um, be reactivated by the circumstances. And they're all different, just like you were talking about, depending on our own personal history and where our vulnerabilities lie. Those are the places that are likely to get activated. So I have another client who's had a history of difficult relationships and family, and uh, the sheltering in close connection with family members was creating conflict. People were disagreeing about, you know, the level of um, separation uh, that was was needed, and and were having conflict about, you know, who could come into the household and who needed to stay out of the household. Just a lot of really important issues being discussed, and so um, this person's history with traumatic experiences with conflict and anger in other people got started to get activated and she was feeling shut down and having a difficult time accessing her own emotions and her own needs and being able to express those in ways that were helpful to the problem solving. So yeah, it can crop up in all different kinds of ways. And it just really makes sense, you know, like what our where our vulnerabilities are in our histories and our psychologies, of course they're going to show up in this e- event. So it just adds a little bit more that we have to cope with when things are already kind of um, stressful and challenging as is. Okay, so lots of different places that can bring stress into our life right now. Yeah. Um, I think everybody everybody has felt that to a, to a certain level at this point. What do we do about that? What should I be pulling out of my toolbox to <laughs> help me deal with 
whatever comes my way any single day. A great, great question. We all need some good ways to cope. Well, just a couple of very simple tools that that um, I have in my toolbox and that I recommend for other people. The use of mindfulness is actually really helpful. Mindfulness is really a connection to our experience in, moment by moment. It really means connecting to the experience that we're having physically, somatically in our five senses and creating kind of a space, an acceptance, a tolerance, even a curiosity about our experiences so that we move out of the judging mind into a more receptive and interested mind. If we're attending to our experience physically, we are in more direct contact with what we're actually, what's actually happening emotionally and physically. And we're moving our thinking mind, our worrying mind, a little more to the background. And our thinking worrying mind actually kicks up a lot of dust and creates a lot of stress for us. And when we can get just a little distance from the mind, usually we can encounter our emotions and our physical sensations and our experiences in a a much more resilient way. So mindfulness is a really good skill to pull out and we can use mindfulness actually to enhance joys and pleasures in life, which are really helpful right now. It's a way to distract or I use the idea of penduluming. We can actually intentionally pendulum our focus and our invested energy from the things that are overwhelming and difficult into things that are more pleasurable and wholesome and enjoyable. As an example of that is is really bringing savoring and and um, a slow enjoyment of say a morning cup of coffee. So so putting our attention on the coffee. Oftentimes we're drinking coffee while we're doing something else. But if we take a few minutes and we put our attention fully on the on the coffee, the smells and the tastes and maybe how much we love our favorite mug it provides a, a sensual, mindful experience that most people find to be enjoyable. It's a little, a little pleasure uh, amid the difficulties. And we can do that with anything. Uh, the birds are singing in the garden, the warmth of sunlight on our skin. So it's really coming in to direct connection to the physical experiences of simple pleasures in the moment. Very good way to move away from whatever might feel heavy or or difficult in a particular moment. So it's actually is it, it help me understand it's it's actually making the choice to be like nope. Yeah. Not thinking about that. Instead, yeah. Yeah. this coffee is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm exactly. So glad I got the hazelnut. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all the little things that are are pleasurable and it is a so in the field of psychology, we talk about this concept, effortful control. It's part of our resilience and our coping to put the uh, the smallest amount of effort into doing the things that we know to be good for us. It's part of our psychological makeup, and we can build it and strengthen it by using it. So we l- use a little effortful control, a little intentional choosing to shift our attention away from something that's upsetting and overwhelming towards something that's more relaxing and enjoyable, almost like a little mini recess or a pause in our in our day-to-day doings so that we get just little moments of relief and they're remarkably uh, re-energizing and 
kind of a reset, actually, for our emotional states and even sometimes for the worrying or anxiety of the mind. I can see where that would be really important, like when, you know, I, I can spend a good amount of time on social media following, you know, the next story about COVID, but that definitely is like, I mean, rabbit hole-esque. And by the time I drag myself out of that, I'm not necessarily in a good mental place. So that's probably be, be the time, like early on in that process is when I should kind of start this and, and like you said, pendulum out and be like, nope, go for mm-hmm. a walk. Go, yeah. Go, yeah. Exactly. Enjoy the sun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, one way of framing that is is um, making a commitment to pacing, um, and and I think pacing is kind of acknowledging that we need to find the right amount of input from the media or connection on uh, on social media, or the or the right amount of conversation about the pandemic, or the right amount of comfort food, or the right amount of Netflix shows, right? Like we kind of know when we yes, cross. Netflix. I'm still watching. I know. <laughs> we, I mean, in a little, and and it's good. You know, these things we need a little bit of it, and so it's a little bit about no know, knowing and then willingness to honor where our limits are, to um, slow the pace. It's sort of like we can't drink from a fire hose, right? It's too much information. We have to turn the volume down so that we can actually drink without causing any harm to ourselves. So it's really recognizing, oh, I have limits. I'm going to stay aware a little bit and figure out where mine are. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some actions to support myself so that I don't get overwhelmed. Cool. Well, before we started recording, I know you mentioned that you actually had a practice uh, for us, uh, like a one minute practice. Is that, can we still do that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in my uh, meditation teachers I, teaching, I run a little program on campus on the University of Idaho campus that teaches mindfulness. And many of my students in particular, but also um, anybody who feels particularly, um, you know, like time is time is of an essence. You don't have a lot of time. A really quick practice that we do, I've called the Moscow Minute. Moscow because I live in Moscow minute because it's a minute long practice and it's a practice of mindful breathing. So I'm happy to, to lead that practice and I'll just kind of teach it the way that I teach it uh, when I'm teaching my students. Sounds great. Okay. Uh, so um, start the practice by closing your eyes. If that feels comfortable, close your eyes and turn awareness or attention inward to the inner experience. And Feel your own breath. So what we want to do is feel the sensations of breath. So breath, air drawing in, you can feel just a little pressure right at the nostril and air moving down into the lung, feeling the lungs expand down into the belly, deep and soft. And then slowly, gradually exhaling and feeling air move from belly back up into lung and out the nose. Now let's do that again. So we'll breathe in, feeling the breath. So we're feeling the breath as we're breathing it. Breathing in, air moving into lung, down into belly. And then breathing out, steady air exiting the body through the nose. And then one more conscious breath 
aware and feeling in the body the breath as we're breathing it. Air coming in, lung deep into the belly. And then exhale, feeling the full length of exhale as breath leaves the body again. So that little practice um, takes about a minute, three to five slow, I call them conscious breaths, really feeling it in the body with attention tuned, attuned to the experience. And by doing that for a minute, it is actually a little reset, a little mini pause in life. It's a refreshing to the mind. Oftentimes the body will relax just a little bit. And um, after a minute of aware, mindful breathing, doing a Moscow Minute, returning to whatever activity might be you know, called for next, oftentimes feeling a little more refreshed, maybe a little more uh, connected to your own experience. So there you go, a little mini practice. No, that felt good. I was pretty nervous about this uh, podcast working because uh, I'm using new, <laughs> new equipment. And uh, honestly, I, I feel a, a little you know, a step down, a step down, less anxious. Yeah, exactly. I love hearing that, you know, a a minute is good. It's helpful if you can do two or three, moving from uh, three breaths up to 10, there's just that much more benefit. So the idea here is that um, mindfulness doesn't have to take up a lot of time. It doesn't have to, it doesn't require people to change their lives. It can be really integrated into everyday experiences and offer some um, ease and some reconnection to inner experience that's helpful. And you have some, uh, a place to go, a website, I believe, uh, that might help people in this? Yeah. So I have a little online website for my University of Idaho program, which is called UI Mind. And I, if you were to Google the words University of Idaho Mindfulness, you will come to my website. I warn you in advance, it is not the most beautiful website, but it has good information on it, including all the programming I'm offering right now. Um, There are available Zoom drop-in meditations twice a week. I have some online recorded resources for people. I have a Facebook page. There's a lot of resources there that you can tap into. Those are mine. I also have links to resources about mindfulness that are provided by other people locally and around the country. All right. Excellent. Well, thanks a bunch for doing this, Jamie. Um, I appreciate you uh, calling into this. Oh, of course. Thank you for inviting me. I, I really like making helpful resources available to people. So totally my pleasure. Now that you're hopefully feeling a little bit less stressed, you may like to hear about a few other University of Idaho research projects. The Rural Studies Program and U of I Extension have developed infographics for every county in Idaho to help manage the unknown about the threat of COVID-19. The infographics show an interactive map and the confirmed cases of the virus. The graphics also display the number of hospital beds and sociodemographic data to aid in response and mitigation of COVID-19. Research in the Mind and Movement Lab found that when older adults thought about posture as effortful, they had worse balance than when they stood in a relaxed way. In contrast, participants had the best balance when they thought about lightening up into length. The College of Engineering's Idaho Clean Snowmobile team earned fourth place overall in the gasoline spark ignited class 
at the 2020 Society of Automotive Engineers Clean Snowmobile Challenge. The challenge was to produce innovative solutions to make cleaner, quieter, and more efficient snowmobiles that are practical for both manufacturers and enthusiasts alike. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to The Vandal Theory. If you want to learn more about Jamie's work, I hope you'll visit our website, uidaho.edu slash vandaltheory. There you can read our show notes and email me with comments. We'd love if you would subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platforms as well. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. And please rate and review us too. We really appreciate all your support and hope you enjoy the podcast. I'm Lee Cooper, and thanks for joining me.